This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and like hostages with Stockholm Syndrome, rejoining <laughs> me for their now seemingly regular uh, end of month slot are the co-head programmer of the Melbourne International Film Festival, Kate Fitzpatrick. Hey, Paul. Hey, hey. And writer, critic, bon vivant, Scotsman. <laughs> Stephen A. Russell. I love that Scotsman is one of my defining characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to be back. And I'm out from underneath the dinner, actually, IRL. <laughs> He's coming out all over again. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that one through, did I? <laughs> hey, um, it's, it's funny, on the, on the Scottish thing, it's the weird side, bro. I'm going to take it. I love it. Um, as a, as a fellow comic book fan as you are, um, Stephen, um, Cyclops from the X-Men, his costume from, I think it's the 90s, where he seems to be, like, wearing the Scottish flag. He's got the blue with the... Do you know, I have never, ever put that together in my head, but it is. He's, he's got the navy blue outfit and it's got the white cross on his chest. 100%. Yeah. Why have I never thought of that? Obviously, have you never noticed this? I don't know. Is it like James Bond where he's just Scottish even though he doesn't sound it? <laughs> is that the thing? Well, well I, I guess mean, his I guess name well. is Scott, Scott Summers. I mean, that could Aye. be a Scottish guy. I mean, it practically is. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Cyclops is Captain Scotland all along. 100%. Just... I love it. Let's make it happen. I mean, I they're about to run they're about, you know, that Marvel are about to bring the X-Men back into the universe, so why not make them Scottish? Just exactly. do it. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm signing up for you, that. You and McGregor as Cyclops. Uh, I can tell oh my God, I'm that. saying I all over the place now. You've literally brought out the Glasgow and there's no putting it back in now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we'll be tackling a trio of new releases. First, we'll take the A-Train to Washington Heights with lyricist Lin-Manuel Miranda and director John M. Chu's musical adaptation of in the Heights, and then we'll stay on a musical theme as fanboy Edgar Wright takes us through the wide, weird, and wonderful career of the band Sparks in his first documentary, The Sparks Brothers. And finally, we'll try and take a sabbatical with Ryan Reynolds, but find it rudely interrupted by a foul-mouthed director Patrick Hughes' The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, the sequel to his surprise 2017 hit, The Hitman's Bodyguard. Um, I don't think I didn't clock your expression there, Kate. Um, we're going to have some words. <laughs> <laughs> also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and comments away. 
Now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. A big congrats from us here to good friend of the show, Christy Matheson, who has been steering the film program ship at Acme here in Melbourne for the last few years as their head curator. Uh, Christy will be leaving for greener pastures in your old corner of the world, Stephen. Uh, Christy will be uh, taking up a new role as the creative director of Scotland's Centre for the Moving Image, the CMI, which incorporates Mm. independent cinema film house, the Edinburgh International Film Festival and the Belmont Film House in Aberdeen. Matheson was the 2017 recipient of the Natalie Miller Fellowship and has been with Acme since 2009. During this time, uh, she's instituted many public engagement and outreach programs, and she will join the CMI following the Edinburgh International Film Festival in August and will lead the vision for the festival's 20, uh, 75th anniversary in 2022. <laughs> Shook is Christy. Absolutely. Well-deserved, I would say. That's super exciting. Mm, yep. So exciting. A- absolutely. Um now, if you've ever wanted to dive deep into the feature film career of cinema's first superstar auteur, Charlie Chaplin, over the next year, you're in luck. Starting July 17, new 4K restorations of 10 of his 11 feature films will be screening in Melbourne at the Lido Classic and Cameo Cinemas, one per month, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of his debut feature, The Kid, which is the first film to screen on the 17th of July. Each film will screen three times over a week with one film screening each month, starting with The Kid this month and the next month A Woman in Paris, then The Circus, The Gold Rush, City Lights, Modern Times, The Great Dictator, Monsieur Verdoux, Limelight, and A King in New York. So that will be uh, exciting to see uh, 4K restorations of those over the next 12 months. Um, so now if you'd like to join us for our first Film of the week. It's a story of a block that was disappearing once upon a time in a faraway land called Washington Heights. Who's gonna notice we're going? Say it so it doesn't disappear. Washington Heights! In the Heights is the 10th feature film directed by John M. Chu. Centering on a variety of characters living in the neighborhood of Washington Heights in New York. On the northern, oh, sorry, on the northern tip of Manhattan, principally Uznavi, played by Anthony Ramos, a bodega owner who looks after an aging lady, Abuela Claudia, played by Olga Merides, next door. He pines for Vanessa, Melissa Barrera, the gorgeous girl working in the neighboring beauty salon, and dreams of winning the lottery and escaping to the shores of his native Dominican Republic to reopen his late father's um, bar, which has since been demolished. Meanwhile, Nina, Leslie Grace, a childhood friend of Wisnavi's, has returned to the neighbourhood from her first year at college with surprising news for her parents, who have spent their life savings on building a better life for their daughter, including a Stanford Ivy League education. Ultimately, Wisnavi and the residents of the close-knit neighbourhood get a dose of what it means to be home. Kate. How did you find this sentimental journey, your voyage, your pathway, your story into many your life of Latino men and women who <laughs> oh struggle gosh. for home and freedom in the city borough of Washington Heights? <laughs> oh, my God, please never do that again. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I, I just had to do it in the style of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Fair. I guess that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I have to 
I have to admit, I feel very conflicted about this film. Um, I saw, I remember seeing the trailer for it a, a good twelve months ago, and instantly was in love. I watched the trailer maybe ten times. Um, was instantly convinced I was going to love this film. I adored the trailer. I really love Anthony Ramos. I think he's a very charismatic performer. Um, I haven't seen him in that many things, but what I have seen him in, I just find him very, very charming and watchable. I love to watch him dance. And I have to say I I didn't I didn't love this the way I was hoping to love it. Um, I found myself a bit of at a distance from the emotion of the film. Um, I, I didn't really like the way it was shot. I found the dance sequences really kind of messy and a bit confusing and particularly when it comes to Ramos, I found a lot of the time thinking I can't quite see him. I can't quite see him dancing and I think that's a big problem for me it is because I want to watch him dance. Um, So, yeah, but that said... I I did become emotionally involved. To, I mean, anyone who knows me at all knows that I'm a very emotional film watcher. I, I cry in most things that I watch, and so I guess it's it's not that much of a stretch that this this film did make me cry. But I, I was kind of surprised by that too. So I, because I wasn't feeling the connection to the story that I I was expecting to. I wasn't feeling the joy that I was also hoping for, and what I. When I talk to a lot of people about it, they really express what a joyous film they found it. And I, I guess for me, I, f- I didn't find it as joyful a tone as I was expecting to. Um, it felt overly self-serious. Um, I didn't find there's, – there's this great bit towards the end where um, they're looking at the the backdrop of the shop and – someone makes a joke about it and it's really funny but it was kind of disarming because I was like oh where has this lightness of touch been for for the rest of this film um so yeah I I I, I'm I'm slightly conflicted because I I found all of these problems with it and yet when it came to the crunch I I did find myself being moved by these stories so that's kind of a bit of a shit review really because I haven't taken a stance either way (laughs) we love to we love we love to sit on the fence here well yeah I I just I sorry I did I got emotional but I I still felt a little bit ripped off in in the emotion department I just I wanted it to be and I guess that's also a, a contradiction I wanted it to be lighter in tone but then at the same time have more of an emotional punch to it um, that mm. I, I, I didn't quite – it didn't quite land for me, which I, I, I feel very much on the outer. Everybody I've spoken to has adored this film. Well, um, has so clearly the, I have uh, no soul and – Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if, uh, if now that as someone you are speaking to being the gentleman on your left has uh, – has, what, what reaction did, uh, did Stephen have? Do you know what? I think I'm this this fence is doing a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> because I was similarly a bit confused by this one. So it's not it's not entirely unknown that I am 
a little bit immune to the charms of Hamilton. I think it has its strengths, but I also wasn't of the cult of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, and But having said that, like Kate, when I first saw this trailer, and I think people have to remember, the trailer for this film came out literally just before the world fell down. So it's kind of in that little clutch of movies like, you know, James Bond and Black Widow that have been... You know, this was the wave of blockbuster that was just about to happen. And I was similarly psyched for this, right? I thought, oh, maybe this will recalibrate some of my issues with Hamilton. Maybe it'll feel a bit more genuine in its engagement with the 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 story of, you know, immigrant identity in America. So I was really up for it. And for a lot of this, I was down, right? I was really down. You know, Anthony Ramos is amazing. I have to give a massive shout out to the young Gregory Diaz who plays, you know, his, I think it's his cousin. His nephew, I think. Nephew yeah. and works in the bodega with him. Sunny. He He is an incredible find. That boy has charisma and spade. He actually outdances most of the people in the movie. His facial acting is top notch. And so I was really into it. But I, but I feel I feel I'm think I picked up some of this strange t- lack of it this kind of indecision on tone because some of the most interesting stuff is the dreamers right it's about people who are undocumented what they what they give to America what they give to communities how they are you know marginalized it's about gentrification it's about you know poverty but also at the same time don't prejudge that we have no joy that we don't have value that we don't have a place in this country um there's a little bit about you know with with Sonny with his father you know with with kind of complex relationships between fathers Mm -hmm. and sons all of this stuff is there but most of that gets a kind of roll call one scene tick and then for two and a half hours, this film is egregiously overlong. For two and a half hours, it's a kind of fairly drippy will they, won't they? And it doesn't have that kind of classic, you know, musical, oh my goodness, I'm totally invested in this couple. They're both great. The performances are, I think, absolutely spectacular for the most part in this film but like Kate it just didn't quite sell me and I swear to goodness at about an hour and 40 minutes I looked at my watch and I was like you've outstayed your welcome and that's 40 minutes before the film finishes and there are egregious inclusions in this film that do not need to be there that whole book I don't know what you thought Kate about the whole book, book end mechanism of like him telling his kids in in the Dominican Republic. Now that might work on stage, but it was so hokey in the film, and there's and you just keep interrupting the flow of the movie to do this kind of cheesy stuff that really would work better if you used it at the end. Lin Manuel Miranda has two utterly unnecessary cameos that. He doesn't look like he's in the film. Like I don't think he's in a scene with anybody, any of the main characters. Like he looks like he just went, Oh, you know what this film needs? At two hours and thirty minutes. It's me. And like it look it really looks like he's gone, Oh, my film is so long, but it doesn't have me and he's just popped himself in at the end. Mm-hmm. 
dude, get over yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's too, it's way too long, and that definitely took the edge off it for me. It's interesting you you say about that the device at either end. There were times when I I I wondered if it just for me at least didn't translate from stage mm. to film, and I mm. wished that I'd been able to see this as a live performance. I, I've never seen. I didn't. I haven't seen Hamilton. I, I haven't seen a live performance, but I, I was a little bit, yeah, re- regretted thinking maybe this just hasn't translated to mm. to this particular medium well and from you, from stage, and it would have been better to see as a stage show. I, I think I would agree. Like I might not love Hamilton, and I do prefer it more. Having seen it in the in the real world, I do prefer it more. But having said all of that, I think the Disney Plus filmed stage version of Hamilton is much more propulsive and has much more of that joy in the in the actual mm. choreography than that's, this that's the state, as a live that's action. A, yeah, that's a filmed performance of the live And I think it works better. Yeah, I think right. it works better. Mm. I really do. If you're going to watch it in a movie, I think it works better in that kind of... And then, then you can justify the length because that's what musicals do. Yeah. If you're going to do a movie, you need to get a bit more snap happy about what what stuff isn't necessary for the story? Mm. What did you think, Paul? Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> I went into this fairly. I'm fairly Lin Manuel Miranda agnostic. I'm one of the twenty people in this country have not seen go, Hamilton. Yeah. Um, oh yes, I'm with you. I have not seen. You're with me. Too. We're two of the twenty. <laughs> Uh, it's and so a part of me was kind of happy to see you know as I'll see them in order. Um, being this was his first yep. um, Broadway show. Um. I'm going to say I did find myself enjoying myself with this film. I, I had a really good time. I it is. I do agree that it is considerably overlong. Um, I wasn't as invested in the will they, won't they love story because I found the character of Vanessa to be a bit of a wet blanket. Mm-hmm. I had yep. really had. I couldn't really dial into her at all. Um, I enjoyed. And Hamilton's um, greatly. I loved him. I'm with you. I think um, Gregory Diaz the Fourth is terrific as Sonny. I really loved um, Corey Hawkins and Leslie Grace as Benny and Nina. I was very into uh, into their scenes. But yeah, I think. I mean, Melissa Barrera. I mean, she's you know she looks great. She's good, good singing voice. I just found. I just didn't feel like she had a lot to work with. And in terms of her character or it just wasn't transferring through in the actor. Yeah, it was a bit of a, that character was a bit of a void for me. Hmm. Um, so I found um, Usnavi's obsession with her a bit baffling. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, um, yeah, I, I, I had a really enjoyable time. I, I did love the the kind of, I liked that it seemed to be for the most part location shot. Um and that it, um, it uh, you know, it's very sun-kissed and very sort of uh, very, you know, ebullient, very loud. And I think one of my problems was I I, I enjoyed the dance scenes. And yeah, they're probably um, a little too choppy. Um, but I think a lot of my problem in a lot of scenes was I, I struggled to hear the lyrics of the songs. Mm-hmm. Like they seem to be drowned out by the by the mix. Um and the film sort of booms at you most of the time, which is, you know, fine. But for a film that's, you know, for a, um, 
a lyricist of, of Lin-Manuel Miranda's kind of stature and the fact that it's so much rests on the lyrics, I would have liked to have heard a third of them. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's – I did find this – yeah, but, no, I had fun. I think uh, – yeah, I mean, it's very sentimental at times. Um, I wasn't quite as affected by it, but I did have a nice time. Um, I – I like what it had to say about the immigrant experience. I like, um, and particularly I, I found the struggle actually between Nina, the Stanford girl and her father, Jimmy Smith, really compelling. Yeah. Mm. That was um, really good. Could have done with more of that. Yeah. That was, that was probably my favorite subplot of the film. Um, and this whole idea of, you know, someone who feels, you know, someone who's given their life to, to give some, give his daughter a future that he, you know, never had. And so, you know, she won't have to struggle as much as he did. And so she can actually, you know, make make inroads for their community and, and be an ambassador, you know. He keeps saying, you're the best one we've got. Mm-hmm. And then her, pr- like, feeling that pressure that yeah. all of Washington Heights, this neighbourhood is riding on her shoulders mm-hmm. and she's terrified by that and feels completely out of place at Stanford um, because it's a white Ivy League college. And yeah. she's – and I just – yeah, Everything to do with that, I loved. Yeah. Um, so there are pockets of this film that I really dialed into. I I got a particular joy as a as an on and off fan of Brooklyn Nine Nine. I had a massive joy of seeing <laughs> Stephanie Beatriz. Absolutely. I did not know she was in it until she came on screen. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I had no idea, but it was <laughs> to the point where it took me several scenes like, is that? Is that? Mm. No. Is that? Because <laughs> it, it's such a different character. Like it's, oh, it's she's night and day. It's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Because, you know, she's Rosa Diaz on, you know, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and completely taciturn and yes. never shows emotion. And in this, she's all massive facial expressions. and She never stops and smiling. And you never, never see her smile on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and she's terrific. Um, she's yeah, actually, so much- in fact, that scene... The the dance scene in the hair in the nail salon hair mm. salon is was one of my favourites because you could actually I, I thought it was shot really well like you saw the dancing and all of the um, like the wigs moving all of that I thought looked fantastic yes. that was a really that was actually a really joyful scene I loved uh, do you know what again this again this sounds so weird that my main beef is that it, you know there's a lovely film in there but they need to lose half an hour but. A lot of the stuff that I think it's a lot about picking the wrong things because actually I could have had an entire film about the salon like that. All all, they were all brilliant, and you're right, Mm -hmm. the dancing was snappy. It was the only time that the kind of occasional, very occasional, almost to the point of why did you decide to have fantastical elements pop in? That was the only time it really worked. Mm -hmm. Was having Mm -hmm. like you know the 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 wigged mannequins kind of singing and dancing. I love that. Mm -hmm. I could have had plenty of more of them. Yeah, I didn't mind uh, some of those elements. Yeah, Daphne, Ruben Vega, Stephanie Beatriz and Dasha Polanco played the three women in the salon. I also gasped at the Valentina cameo. I did not see that coming. <laughs> um, I was happy with that. Um, what did we think of that? Because there's a scene, because it's like, as we said, it seemed to be shot on location um, as far as I know. Um, yeah, it certainly looked, looked very much like it. Yeah, I haven't researched it too deeply, to be honest. But um, But there's a scene that's starts you know like a fairly benign kind of 
um, balcony scene that seems mm. CGI'd. And I started to get annoyed until I found out why it was CGI yeah. <laughs> because they start dancing along the side of the building. What do we think <laughs> of? Uh, I I quite like that. I you know it's a bit of a nod to to musicals past, and it was two yeah. characters I like, so I was I was quite into it. I thought it was sweet when he did it, but also I just, I don't know, I think it might be my particular vintage, but it did also just make me think of the Adam West Batman. (laughs) 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 Which I don't think is what they were shooting for, but, you know. (laughs) This shot spray. They used to, to like, you know, crawl up the side of the building, (laughs) but it was, like, actually the floor. Anyway, anyone anyone who is not, like, 40 plus is not going to have a clue what I'm talking about right now. I know what you're on about. (laughs) You're expecting Jerry Lewis to poke out the window and say hello? Exactly. What are you doing on the side? One hundred percent. I was disappointed when that did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, and and Lin Manuel Miranda's bit like I'm not sure what to make of him as an on-screen presence. Like he seems like a lovely guy, and he seems very, and he's obviously obviously absurdly talented. But yeah, I I, as an on-screen presence, I don't know. I never quite buy him. I don't it's think like his, acting his role as Bob Fosse and Fosse Verdon was yeah, weird. I don't think acting or singing are either of his talents. I think he's definitely a behind the scenes creator. Yeah, he's I a, found he's it a more distracting than anything. I suppose. Yeah, it did. It just, I mean, the you fact just that, go, oh, there, there's this Lin Manuel Miranda. <laughs> and not does, the guy with the ice cones. I, I know, and it does have like some ridiculous close ups. It's like, yeah, yeah, we we got mm. it. We 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 saw who yeah. it was. <laughs> And yeah, and and the Fosse cameo in Fosse Verdon was much the same. Like, because that was a series I adored end to end. But that was one note where I was like, "Did you really need to play mm. and yeah. insert yourself in there?" That felt very. And this feels like something similar. It's, yeah, because it takes you out of it. Takes you mm. out of it. It's this. I don't know. Maybe and, narcissism and I, is a bit too strong a word, but there's just this narcissistic oh. need to to. Be a part yeah. of it and make yeah. sure that people know you're in it. But it just all it does is actually detract. Yeah. Well, for me, it did anyway. Or, or, or know that he's the guiding vision behind this, like he was. Yeah. You know, with like, Verdon, he was the EP, and we all got yeah, the memo. Like he, it's, not, it's not like he's shoehorning himself into leads, but he's kind of like it's like, hey, I'm here, and I don't know whether it's just because he's such a big personality out of the thing, and when he, yeah, it's it's very strange. It's but I, I agree with both of you. There is a bit of a there's a bit of an effect, a bit of a sort of a do we do really need that? Um, but yes, I mean, it's uh, not the first director to do that. Like, no, you know, no, really not at famous, all. famous people that do that put them, and, insert themselves in all their films all the time, and often do it. But others seem to do it seamlessly. For mm. him, it seems to kind of be a poke in the eye, and I don't know. It's I a bit know. like the. It's definitely of the Shyamalan version of you. Yes. Oh yes, there you are. <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm being really to... mean. I didn't hate this film. It's it's very jolly. It just needs to be half an hour shorter. <laughs> yeah, I I like I said, I I had a great time with it, and and um and sections of it are quite moving, and and the yeah, and the cast are uh, uniformly wonderful. Love seeing Jimmy Smith's in there. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think between it's between this and um the the Baz Luhrmann show, The Get Down, that was on Netflix last year. I feel like Jimmy Smith's. Is kind of like a, and having a little bit of a low, you know, low key moment in terms of like late career, kind of showing up and being really fun. And Good for him. Yeah. yeah, I'm down for it. So, in the Heights is now screening at most major and independent cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. One hundred two point seven.
So uh, before we go there, though, let's uh, take a journey with our uh, second film. We were just seeing them all the time. Like, who are those guys? They are an anomaly. I don't feel like they purposely have been trying to be mysterious, right? They don't really look like a band. They do just like people who've been sort of let out for a day. The Sparks Brothers is the first documentary and seventh feature overall directed by Edgar Wright. Growing up in the 1960s, Los Angeles brothers Ron and Russell Mayle got by on a heavy diet of popcorn matinees and pop music and a little French new wave until the spotlight of school talent shows illuminated their way on a musical odyssey as the band Sparks, spawning 25 studio albums, 325 songs over a 50-year career that endures to this day, influencing countless bands and artists over the journey. Edgar Wright's vision brings five decades of invention to life through animations and interviews, digging deeply into the band's rich career-spanning archival. Stephen, did Edgar Wright's first foray into factual filmmaking provide a compelling case for one of the world's least known weird and wonderful bands? Not if you're me and I feel like I'm the real cranky pants today. <laughs> but honestly, Paul, if the, if the premise of this film is this is the most influential you know, genre smashing, boundary exploding bands that you've never heard of. If Edgar Wright wants to sell me on that hands up that I didn't know anything about them, then the way to do it is not through as blandly generic a talking head, cut and paste, follow the mold documentary as this. It is two hours, again, egregiously long of nothing but talking heads with with a clip show. I found it so smotheringly unoriginal. Honestly, this one totally lost me. And people love it. People absolutely love this. Kate, did you love it? Um, I, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. Um, I, I went in thinking uh, I know nothing about this band. I've never heard of them. Um, I remember thinking that Ron looked slightly familiar because he's so striking looking. And it's not an, it's about... 20 minutes into the film, I think, uh, or maybe even halfway, and they um, it's in the late 70s, and they show the video clip for um, When I'm With You. And as soon as it came on screen, I had this, like, flashback to being a little kid and that video. It, I'm sure it must have been on Countdown because I really had a, I was just like, oh, my God, I know this song. I remember this video. <laughs> it used to creep me out because, you know, Ron's <laughs> such a strange-looking guy and he's, his brother is the puppet and he's just moving his mouth up and down singing the song but it's just going up and down like a puppet's mouth. That was a big nostalgia moment for me. Um, I, I really I really enjoyed all the, the talking heads. I thought they talked to some really interesting people. I quite enjoyed the... Um, the animations too. Normally, kind of think oh, animation in a film can sometimes be really clunky and not great. But I, I really enjoyed them. Um, I would say I, I think it's too long. Uh, I think it's probably long. like fifteen twenty minutes too long. Whereas I f- like like I felt like the last. 15, 20 minutes was just this constant repetition of how great were these guys and no one really appreciated them and weren't they great? And so, but that aside, I, I did have a really good time with it. I'm kind of annoyed. I've had this town ain't big enough for the both of us <laughs> in my head constantly since I saw it. Yep. And I haven't been too happy about that. 
<laughs> well, I got I got bad news for you, Kate. Oh my I know. goodness! You're gonna play it, right? Do you know? Yeah. You're gonna have it again. Do you know when it, the first time it really clicked into me was when it finally got to kind of the eighties. That's when that's when I started to like the music more. Mm. Because also I did feel a bit like it was like, oh, if you're not cool enough to not know us, this is why you should love us. I, I find it a bit sneeringly condescending from from everyone. But yeah, what I, I will guess... say is the music doco that I loved most recently that I think did this far more successfully is the Go-Go's doco that was at Myth oh. last year. Yeah. And and of course, we've got, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget her name, Wheeldon, J- Jane. Jane. Jane Wheedlin. Jane, Jane Wheedlin. Yeah, she, she had an affair with Russell. I know. And she, well, that know was about. the moment when I finally kind of connected more emotionally with this film. Is She is just such a firecracker the moment and she's And she's so screen. emphatic about them Absolutely. too. It's quite, um, I, I guess I, I, I never found it, Particularly smug or anything, oh God, I and I find quite, it painfully smug. I quite like. I like that Edgar Wright is. Uh, he's so unapologetically a, sh- a fanboy. Like he's doesn't <laughs> yeah, really including popping up. To exactly. Say so. <laughs> like he he's one of the people that you talk to, and I kind I kind of like that. It's very much a passion project for him. Like yeah. I, I think I read an interview with him where he apparently had been banging on about it to people for ages about someone needs to make a film about these guys until someone went, well, why don't you do it? And mm-hmm. so he did. And I think that's kind of cool if you're in a position to make a film about a band that you really love and you can, you've got access to all these other very cool people that love them. Good for you, you know. But don't haven't you? I mean, you must watch how many million documentaries for Meth. Have you not hit the stage where seeing a bunch of random people against a generic grey backdrop is just a little? Because we've seen some amazing documentaries recently. Don't you think it's a little bit lazy with all of his, you know, Edgar Wright's, you know, pool and all of his filmmaking skills that? He just looks like he went in with one camera and sat there talking to people. Yeah, is I that get, really what we want nowadays? I guess. Look, okay. I guess form wise, it's not. It's not breaking any molds or anything. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's more. <laughs> I think he's so in love with this band. As I said, he's unashamedly a fanboy. He just wants to present them and have them tell their story. And there's a lot of archival, archival footage in it, which is quite interesting. Um, and as I said, I think I think the animations are very cool. I think they work really well. Um, it's just, just a little bit too long. Why was me. I so cranky? I don't know. It just left me cold. I, I will the whole also film. say though, I have a lot of people I know who loved it, they're like, "Oh, I'm just I'm going out. I'm going to listen to the Sparks." I am not doing that. No, and I, I haven't. I have no interest in doing that. It's it's not for me. But also, that doesn't need to be. I, I don't. I don't mind that either. I think I still enjoyed the the documentary and hearing about them without falling in love with their music. Okay, Paul, we'll put you on this fence divider. You need to you need to go one way or the other. Where are we? Well, <laughs> well we're the three bears here because <laughs> you're cranky pants hater and and uh, Kate dug it but isn't seeking the music. For me, I uh, look. I've found if if there's anything that sums up. Edgar Wright's film career to this point, and even his show Spaced before that, it's joy. I, 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 I yeah, fair enough. There was a point called joie de like I just called it joie de cinema. Like it's just this pure enthusiasm for for you know for film history for genre all that sort of thing. And while I do take your point, Stephen, it is a fairly generic structure. It's also a very nerdy structure. Like 
he's deliberately going through album by album. Like it's yeah. like it's clearly a nerd going, I am going to introduce <laughs> you to this band from the start to the present, and I'm going to take you through every single album and phase in order. Fair and as, as someone that used to ho- co-host a film podcast where we did that with film directors and I would try and insist on going through in order <laughs> every episode, um, I can really relate. Um, I just had a ball with this. I Like, again, I I do agree that it's too long and I 100% agree with you, Kate. I think it's the last 15 minutes it can go. I think once you get to the last album and their last and their triumphant thing, yep. after that it's just a lot of talking heads going like reiterating stuff yep. I've heard for the last two hours. Yep. That could abs- – it's the easiest cut in the world. You just go bang, out, out at two hours. Um, because everything else, I if this would have been a four-and-a-half-star film to me had mm. they cut out at that point. I just had a pure ball. I've been listening to Sparks all day. I had never <laughs> – I didn't know a damn thing about them before this. Mm. Um, all I knew was that they were composing the uh, – they composed a song score to the new Leos Carax film, Annette, that's mm-hmm. opening Khan this year, that was, uh, and that Edgar Wright loved them. That's about all I knew. And by the end, um, my partner and I were just, like, spellbound. And I think, if anything, it's just a beautiful tribute to and – I, and, I, and I get what you're saying, Steve. It is fairly formally unaudacious. I did, like, some of the animations and, like, mock posters and things for – films they you know i quite liked yeah but i think it needed to be i think those guys have enough creativity that like to transcend the form of the film and what the the thing that really just won me over was just this portrait of tireless tireless invent tireless creativity and invention just these guys like like for six years i didn't get an album made but they just recorded every day Mm. And and just you know like three hundred songs in twenty five years and just this constant and and I I don't know I think I you know as someone who likes Queen and you know early Muse and early Radiohead and things like that like I their style really spoke to me I I just adore it um, yeah, that's probably why I didn't ver- <laughs> like Queen <laughs> Why you just and said that very- on live radio oh I know goodness. I know cancel me now. <laughs> You don't, you don't, that's right, you hate Queen. Don't yeah, 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 and a lot, yeah, there were a lot of these songs that were the like, Ugh! You're taking the bullets for me now, no one's going to remember that I didn't like the first two films. Yeah, <laughs> but I totally, yeah, I agree with the, 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 I think it's got a lot of interesting stuff to say about the idea of success as well, mm. like yes. the, you know, I think someone even says, you know, if they'd had their really big breakout album in the early 80s, maybe they would have burnt out and, and mm. broken up or if they or chased trying to exactly. write Exactly, whereas mm. the su- success of their life is just loving what they do and loving reinventing what they do all the time, which yeah. is such a huge thing to span 50 years is oh, quite like incredible. It, it was admirable what they do. I just think you could have done that in 90 minutes and with a slightly more interesting form. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. It's over, yeah, 50 years, it's all right. And Use I, up the filmmaking in. But, yeah, as as someone that, like, got a uh, got an email today saying um, I didn't, uh, my application for a certain filmic event wasn't successful, um, I love the idea of two guys that just, just go stuff it. Like, we don't care who's buying it, we're making it. Yeah. And we're just going to yeah, keep no, making and it. And that, look, there's, and, uh, there's definitely lovely stuff in there. There is. I think it's just I was saying to Kate on the way in. It's not that I don't think films can merit being longer. They absolutely can. I have no problem with watching an excellent three, four hour film. I just don't like this creeping slide towards everything having to be two hours plus. Oh, I hate it. And that's been going for a it's, decade. I know. You know and like, it needs to stop. 
Yeah, a no, documentary I agree. I mean, is one of the hard lines. You get I'm, 90 minutes, stop it. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody came up, I, it, it varies. Like some say 90, some say 100, but there's like you get, a, like there's a saying of the, you get 100 minutes and every minute after that you have to earn. Yes. And I, I, I love that as as a philosophy. I, I was just more, I think I was just more dialed into this than the other one. But yeah, like I said, 15 minutes off the end, bosh. Yeah, I agree. So the Sparks Brothers is screening exclusively at Cinema Nova. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Stephen A. Russell, Kate Fitzpatrick, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, join us in the cinema for our final film. Hey there, future Michael. It's today, Michael. I think you'd be proud to know that I'm officially on sabbatical, and I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. In fact, for the first time since Kincaid killed Kurosawa, I'm starting to imagine a life without bodyguarding this really feels like a new the hitman's wife's bodyguard is the fourth feature film directed by patrick hughes the world's most lethal odd couple professional bodyguard michael bryce ryan reynolds and professional hitman darius kincaid samuel l jackson are back on another life-threatening mission still unlicensed and under scrutiny bryce is forced into action by darius's even more volatile wife the infamous international con artist sonia kincaid played by selma hayek as Bryce is driven over the edge by his two most dangerous protectees, the trio get in over their heads in a global plot and find that they are all that stand between Europe and a vengeful madman played by Antonio Banderas. Kate, we were stuck for a third film this week and you floated this one. Please, if you will, share with the class what you were thinking. <laughs> I mean, what on earth were you thinking, Fitzpatrick? Um, I am unapologetically a big fan of Ryan Reynolds (laughs) and I really like the first film. I really like The Hitman's Bodyguard. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think this one was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess my biggest criticism of it, it was... More Banderas, please. He was mm. really great. And why was and he playing Greek? Why was he playing Greek, though? That was very strange. I had the feeling he was an adopted, because he says at one point, I, I had no home and Greece took me in. Oh. You've, so, you've got some nuance in yeah. there. <laughs> I was oblivious. I mean, he was, I thought he was really great. And oh, I fabulous. would love to have seen him in a lot more of it, um, mm. quite frankly. Uh, yeah, it, it was. it was fine. I guess it was exactly what... Uh, you would expect. Um, oh, look, from the a- cast of this is absurdly stacked. Like you've got those guys, and then you've got you know Frank Grillo and Morgan Freeman <laughs> and Caroline Goodall, and like yeah, it's Richard E. Grant shows up for thirty. Oh, seconds. I know, <laughs> I know, it's Crazy. outrageous. Yeah, that was that was that was, that's probably I, I lost the star for that. I mean, come on, you don't get <laughs> basically get shoved out of the way. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think he's in the first film. Oh, okay. And and that's a callback. Right. I haven't seen the first film. I haven't seen the I first film. He's a character. I did ask Kate if I needed to get across the plot. She said I didn't really have to. <laughs> no. I mean, come on. I mean, I the, the the thing I really like about the first film is it's just this throwback to, you know, 90s action films. They don't really make those kind of things anymore. And it's just it was just really fun. And, you know, I think this one's really fun as yeah. well. Um, I, I don't really know that I have much more to say about it, though. It's just like it's it's fine. It's I don't. I, it wasn't quite as fun for me as the first one. I, I can't quite put my finger on why that is, but but I think yeah. you're right about something about that retroness. Like, I mean, there, there there's stuff that shouldn't be in here. There's some really 
on the nose jokes that aren't particularly, you know, kind of okay for nowadays. However, there is something about that nostalgic, just silly, daft, you know, dumb, on the road, on the run movie. And Sama Hayek is just eating the scenery. And I'm here for that. I'm here for her eating the scenery. It was, it was really, <laughs> and the amount of side I, boop in this film is outrageous as well. Like, Sama, <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> Love it. She, yeah, she was a lot of fun. I Look, I like Ryan Reynolds. He makes me laugh more often than not. Um, I had to defend him last time I was on the show. Um, yeah, I, 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 this is bonkers. Um, look, I didn't hate it. I like, I enjoyed it, but I'd sort of chided myself for enjoying it afterwards. Um, it, it's, I, it's, you shouldn't it's just do that. No. <laughs> no, but no, okay. I feel like the more sophisticated version of this is nobody. Um, the 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 Bob Odenkirk film, like which I hated, and I really this, enjoyed which that. Which I haven't oh. seen, and I actually have heard the exact same thing, Paul. So I really am quite keen to see it now. Yeah, I love it. It's like Looney thing. Tunes, but you know, good. This is Looney Tunes, but a no, bit, nobody's like, terrible because it takes itself deathly serious, and oh, this does no, not. not at all. And that is um, brilliant. Ooh. Okay. I would love to interrogate this further, but we're getting the, <laughs> a, a uh, quite physical wind-up from Killer Carl Chapman. So I am going to close the door on the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Sorry, we banged on too much about In the Heights. Um, There's way so more to say about that, though, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. fair. <laughs> the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, if you want some bonkers in your life, is yes. now screening at most major and independent cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with special guests Kate Fitzpatrick and Stephen A. Russell and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We checked out In the Heights and The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, now screening at most major and independent cinemas, and The Sparks Brothers, now screening exclusively at Cinema Nova. Next week's lineup of hosts and films is still under wraps. Find out what treasures await on our social media channels later this week. Huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, Killer Carl Chapman for paneling the show and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 